NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Today on the show, an actress whose work I have been binging for the last few years, Katherine Hahn. You've seen her in Transparent. You've seen her in I Love Dick. You've seen her in Parks and Recreation. Uh, and Katherine Hahn is out with a new film uh, on Netflix called Private Life. In this movie, Katherine stars alongside Paul Giamatti. Uh, it's directed and written by Tamara Jenkins. And this movie, Private Life, it is this captivating slow burn of a film. Catherine and Paul play this couple in their 40s in New York, trying to have a kid. But as they try and try and try to have this baby, you also see them grapple with what you do when your life just doesn't turn out the way you thought it would on several levels, not just parenthood, and how you deal with that. Catherine and I talked a little while ago here in L.A., and we talked about a lot. Uh, her past work and some of the overriding themes I see in all of the stuff she does. Uh, we talked about her childhood growing up in Cleveland, and we talked about this really interesting thing that we both have in common as former church kids. All right, here's me and Catherine Hahn. Enjoy. <laughs> researching you getting ready for the interview and i find out that we have a thing in common a very strange weird thing in common we have both played in our youth salty the singing song book i'm gonna burst into hysterical <laughs> tears right now yes because i was under the impression all these years that that was written strictly for saint anne's elementary no school. ma'am i played it at saint james catholic school in seguin texas what are you talking <laughs> yes! about yes i have never <laughs> met a salty P S A L T Y. What's you remember the songs? No. <laughs> but I mean, I am a recovering Catholic. Like I don't remember. Everyone really. is really. I used. To I was raised was... Pentecostal. Just went to Catholic school. Yes, because it was like good, cheap private education. Exactly, and they. So my mother went to Catholic school because they would take the black kids. Total. Yes. When no, when when the public schools would not. You know. In Texas. And she was from uh, from Birmingham. It's a good experience. Were you talk by Jesuits? No, the I wish priests? the cool ones. No, we had nuns. Who yeah, we were have not nuns too. Actually, around. I like the nuns better than the Jesuits. Well, the nuns get stuff done. The nuns get stuff done. They're good educators and pretty progressive. Yeah, actually, and they take no guff. We talked about salty. Uh, to segue into your work, so you started out doing plays. <laughs> that not that that's not my work. <laughs> that is your. That is your. <laughs> that is the first. And they give you the lifetime achievement Oscar. It's going to be a clip of you <laughs> as just salty. Start and end, just <laughs> slow motion on that dog. Yes. Uh, and then just pan. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I started, I I did actually fall in love early, 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 early. Yeah. Um, it was like around that time and it was around, in, in Cleveland, there was, a, there was the Cleveland Playhouse, mm -hmm. which was uh, like the sacredest, most holy space for me. Wow. More so, no offense, than the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved the bubble, like the holy bubble that it created, like when... When it was like me and a bunch of scrappy actors mm. all barefoot with our long toenails, just like <laughs> making something out of nothing. There was like a holiness in it that mm. I and a safety, especially because I just always like so many of us, I just like never felt like I was in my skin or I always felt like I was like kind of not sure who my true self was. And I was tr always trying on something on the outside mm. like we all do. Yeah. And um yeah, and so I did theater there all through elementary school. And I was like, that was... You stuck with it. Yeah. Do you find the same holiness and community doing TV and film? It has taken a second. Hmm. Um, it's easier to find in the theater, yeah. I think, because of a, a lot of factors. I think because 
of the the idea of an ensemble. I love a backstage. It pisses me off to such a profound degree when an actor doesn't pick up their clothes, <laughs> hangs. It doesn't respect their costumes. Like, yeah. doesn't respect their props. Doesn't respect the crew. Doesn't respect like that. We're all that doesn't respect the. You don't have any of this without craft services, no. without costumes, without it's all together. And in fact, these together. people are there hours before you are and stay hours after mm-hmm. you leave. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how like real true empathy building work can happen when it doesn't happen in that within the world yeah. that you're making it. Yeah. So Do you anyway. think theater has more of that community than like Not film always, crew? but in my in I can my... imagine film crews being like the act the big name actor comes in and then leaves and it's like no connection. Yes, a lot of it. And that's why I think I felt so um, disheartened when I first came out. So when I first started getting work in this medium, yeah. I guess, or out here, mm-hmm. it was like there was a weird divorce between the work I was being asked to do on camera and the work that I wanted to be able to do. Mm. Um, How'd you deal with that? I don't know. It was like it's just there was a dissatisfaction. I was dissatisfied for a while. I don't know exactly what it was, but it took a second for me to realize that I could marry the two, that I didn't have to pretend to be something I wasn't mm. for this weird... This weird place. Business. <laughs> yeah. That I was trying to fit... It was like I was doing like two different jobs. I was trying to like not just do my work. I was trying to like do what I thought they were supposed to be. Yeah. So, so... You were trying to be yourself and them at the same time. Yeah. Which is too much. Too much. You know, but it feels like with private life especially that... What you want your work to be and mm. what your work is kind of come together, no? This feels very much oh. like hearing you talk about the movie and hearing you talk to me just now, this seems like art and work that is closer to your vision of what you want your career to be than some of the stuff before. Oh, for sh- yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been some projects before it, too, that I would say, like, kind yeah. of paved it. And, yeah. But, yeah, this, for sure, the experience of it, the ease of it, the chemistry, the, yeah, the, the everything of it was just, like, ah, mm. for sure. And Tamara's voice, also, Tamara it's Jenkins, who wrote and yeah. directed it, yeah. yeah. And Paul Giamatti, who's, like, yeah, still, it's so strange. We, I just saw him recently for the first time time in a while and it it's so strange to talk about this movie without him or the experience of it without him because i really and truly like don't remember much of what it's hard for me to remember much of what i did i hmm. just remember like his face like i just was so we were so clued into each other well, a lot of movies are too y'all yeah, and she shot it like out. a two shot. Like yeah. mo- mo- we we rarely see either of us in a close up. It's like usually we're in a, yeah. a two shot, which is yeah. also really rare. And yeah. I love. That's good. We should say for those who haven't watched it, <laughs> oh, yeah. this movie Private Life. It's on Netflix now. It's getting some awards buzz. But it's you and Paul Giamatti. You're playing this couple in their forties, mm-hmm. trying to conceive, but there are complications. Yeah, and like, it's funny in talking about this movie with other people preparing for this interview. I realize, as someone who is not trying to have kids right now and yeah. is single as hell, can barely yeah. take care of a dog. You're a baby. <laughs> I'm a little baby. <laughs> but a lot of people in my life, a mm-hmm. lot of people that I work with, that I know, they deal with this stuff. And you realize, unless you ask, they're not going to tell you about it. Yeah. But a lot of people deal with the difficulties of trying to have a kid. Well, no, it's interesting. I was, you know, in my 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. I didn't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, my long-term boyfriend, but I wasn't like, there was, like, babies were nowhere. In, yeah. in, like, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. Yeah. 
I was kind of raised to think like I was somewhat in control of my fertility and my decisions Mm -hmm. and that it was my body and my, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was, um, the 20s were about figuring out who I was and my, all those good things, which are, and, and valid and, I'm so glad I would never have been ready to be a mother in my 20s and even into my middle 30s. Like, there's no way. Um, but then what I think is the pickle is that our biology is just, um, that's our most fertile time mm-hmm. as women. So it just sucks. It's, it's, it's like your spirit's not ready. Yeah. Your body is. It sucks. And the spirit gets ready. The body's like, tap out. And it's like, it's not in everybody's cards and mm-hmm. it's not for, and and we're just strictly talking about, I think right now, like women. Mm-hmm. I think people are waiting later and later to start families. Yeah. And with all of this technology that's available, which is, you know, in assisted reproduction, which is incredible. Yeah. But then for people then, I think also rely on it a lot now as a choice. Yeah. Like I'm going to wait because this and because this and this is available. Is and does that give folks false hope sometimes? I think maybe it does because it's, um, you know, you look at a People magazine and there's like someone on the cover with I like, was 73 and I had yeah. a child, you know, and yeah. it's like. And you're like, you don't see all the story behind it. And, mm-hmm. you know, Michelle Obama just recently talked about having IVF with her kids and it was like a big deal in the book and yeah. it was so awesome that, that yeah. she wrote about it. It was so beautiful that she, but, and I, so I think more and more people are like shining a light. Mm. Um, but. And this puts it out there, like the very, and what I found eye-opening about the movie and the way that your character and Paul's character go about the hard business of trying to have a kid, it's like, You'll make a decision and say, well, this is the way we're going to do it. And then you'll second guess it. And then you'll make that decision and say, we're going to do it this way. And then you'll second guess it. I think on the outside looking in, I was assuming, well, my friends who were trying to have babies, they've decided on this route and they go down this path. But in actuality, there's turns all along the way. All along the way that we kept calling it the baby carrot that would be dangled. Like you think that there was this line in the sand, like I'll go up to... Like, we'll do up to this point, but mm-hmm. this is where I draw the line in the sand. And then you go further. And then you go further because there's so many other options. Yeah. And then you, and then who, how do you tell somebody to stop? Like, how do you tell somebody if, if it just takes one more egg or just one more round of IVF or one more? Like, yeah. it's. Um, why would you not do it? Why would you not do well? I mean, financially, yeah. eh? But like, it is, um, it's an impossible roller coaster to get off. And I, I, I think that's why Paul, at some point during it, said to me, this said to both Tamara and I, like, this is waiting for Godot. And we were like, totally. But Godot's the baby. Yeah. (laughs) Because it really does feel so existential. Like, it's Mm. just this constant, like, loop that they're on, Mm -hmm. that they've even forgotten what they want, like, what the end game is. Is it really about the baby anymore? No, it's not even about the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like they forgot who they were before this baby mm-hmm. project. Like they they're just existing now because if they stop and examine like actual grief and actually where they are in their life. Mm-hmm. They aren't where they thought they were going to be when they were in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Their dreams, you know, they're in the same apartment. Mm-hmm. They thought they were going to have these careers that they you know, it's all those things that we like are running it's life. Like it's life. what we're all doing, like running away from what we thought we were going to be and, and yeah. And thinking the, the baby can the fix fear, it. The fear, yeah, of actually confronting it and thinking like, oof, looking down the barrel of that final chapter and like, <sighs> okay, who, who are we now? Who am I now? What do I want? They think it's this baby, but I, I don't know. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Catherine Hahn on Me Too and the struggle to stay focused on her work. BRB. 
Support for this podcast is brought to you by Discover Card. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. Stasha Shepard thought she knew her dad. But then one day, a stranger called their home. The phone is in my ear and he's saying, your father's a crook. Did you know that? The story of a fallen hero and the mysterious obsession that drove him for decades. This week on Hidden Brain. Did you bring any of your, like, theater training? I'm I'm assuming you always bring your theater training, but, like, was there a certain part of you and your theater work that was brought to this film? Because it does feel, and it breathes in a way that, like, a really good stage play does. You know, I had been doing, I think, before this, the work that I had been doing, there had been an element of improvisation. Mm. And I love that. Mm -hmm. It can get tricky, but this, because the script was so baked fully cooked by the time we got it and it was like there was really she did not want any improvising at all which was actually like a huge relief i think really yeah because i could just focus on it yeah and living in that moment yeah so that felt like all i had was in this beautiful piece of writing i didn't have to look outside of it at Mm. all Mm. so that was on the script level i think on the work level and then on the you know the back the back Backstage yeah. level, like we all, you know, we shot in an apartment building. We all shared the same. Um, Paul had one bedroom. I had another bedroom and we shared a, you know, b- toilet in the middle and like with it. So we basically had like a backstage yeah. area and then they'd call us to set and we'd walk upstairs and go into the apartment. So oh it did feel like theater. Yeah. In, the, in that way. That. Yeah. I read that to prepare for this role, playing a woman who's struggling to conceive, that at night after shooting, you would go to where you were staying and watch YouTube videos of couples trying to do IVF? hmm Wow. hmm I was drawn to these these testimonials, these video testimonials that are on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And there are many of them. Which I had no idea. But, I mean, you, there's anything, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Says the parent of a, a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> but but they for some reason it was like it just became my little ritual every night is that i would just kind of like before going to bed i would just like watch not even like really consciously i was just like hungry to see them so many couples would just kind of tell their stories and set them to like music and it would just be these stories of their fertility journeys with Mm. either positive or you know heartbreaking outcomes and um, that's kind of how it seeped into my bones, I think. Yeah. This is the kind of movie that you do, and it inherently leads to conversations about your own life and mm. your own fertility mm-hmm. and your own mother whatever issues. And you've talked about that before in relation to this movie, but it's like I was thinking before this interview, do we expect women to talk about stuff like this when it's tied to their work in a way that we don't expect men to? Like, should I ask you about fertility or not? I would never ask uh, a man about it. Yeah, w- I was going to ask you, would you ask a man about it? 
Hmm. I don't even think I've ever thought about fertility as a man thing. Interesting. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring this up. Like, I have done um, it in w- walking around for this movie and, and these discussions. There's been a lot of, like, you know, the Me Too movement discussions and yeah. all these things. And it is so interesting to think, like, you wonder how many of the, like, the men have been asked this question about how, how they feel like things have changed since mm. last last year. Because yeah. I feel like I've been asked that question so many times, which is yeah. such a weird question just to feel like one human with a vagina <laughs> can speak for the women for an expe right yeah yeah it's just a very interesting anyway it's a very interesting time is it not yeah do you get tired of that question i don't know if i get tired of the question because it certainly is i'm glad that conversations are still happening mm-hmm. but i just still want it to feel i i hope that it still feels fertile Maybe yeah. To bring it back into yeah. this conversation. <laughs> I just, I, you know what I mean? Yes. It like, starts, to, it's. Are it, we still I, paying attention? Are we still feeling this movement the, in this gro- moment? What's the like Is thriving, living, changing heartbeat in it? You know what I mean? Like, mm. what's the what's actually being discussed rather than is it just because you're a woman and happen to be I feel in obligated front of a camera? To ask you the Me Too question and yeah. And what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then it's like you have all of these thoughts about the world and your industry, but you still got to just go to work. Well, this is the, this, this is what I think. I, this is an awesome segue, Sam. <laughs> it's hard because you can't really bring it to your gig. Like you have to walk in. I mean, at least in this gig, I have to walk in. In the role. Into the, yeah, into the room and not have, because if I'm conscious of any of that, then that's like a, that's an inhibitor to me that gets in the way. Like I can't walk in thinking about a big picture. Yeah. Or like an, it, it can't be like an issue movie. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I also don't think it works. No. Like you it has to, to be he, human. Yes. How do you separate? How do you turn that switch on and off? Because you're an activist, like you are involved in politics outside of your work, and you and you. We all are. But like, do you have a problem taking like leaving politics at the stage door? I guess I no. Don't know. Um, it's it's maddening. Mm. I mean, that is an understatement of the century. Again, like I can't even like I can't even say it. Like maddening. What are you talking maddening. about? It's a hellscape. <laughs> like everywhere you turn. Like it's like you can't even. I can't. I can't even turn anywhere. It's like even just on top of everything else, there was that like climate change yeah. report that was like, oh, yeah. oh and then there's that's yeah. around the, the corner. The smoke just cleared from the fires. Yes. You know, we're waiting for mudslides. Like it's we like... might not have that as long as we thought. Yes. Yes. I mean, I remember. I look at my children and I'm like, how do I protect them from like crippling anxiety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause it is. It's it's bananas. Yes. So anyway, yes. work is, I would say at this point, um, a uh, an escape soul mm-hmm. food. Yeah. I mean, I it's always been the place where I feel like I think like I articulated at the beginning of this the, the place where I've always felt the most like. <sighs> yeah. For sure. All right, one more break. Do not go away, dear listener. In a minute, we're going to talk about a show I love. I Love Dick, and also a place I love where that show is set, Marfa, Texas. All right, BRB. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from WordPress.com. With powerful site building tools and thousands of themes to choose from, WordPress.com lets their users pursue what they love by launching a site that's free to start with room to grow. 
Their customer support team is made of actual WordPress experts who are standing by to help you 24 hours a day, including weekends. And WordPress users own their content forever. Get 15% off any new plan purchase at wordpress.com slash minute. Hey, it's Guy Raz here. And on the next How I Built This, how two women with no background in fitness set up some stationary bikes, dim the lights, boosted the music and created a cult following in a multi-million dollar business called SoulCycle. You can find How I Built This wherever you listen to podcasts. Talked about private life, which I just enjoyed thoroughly, but I want to talk about like your other work because you've been busy the last few years. And one of the things that I've actually watched two or three times now is I Love Dick. Oh, you have? Oh, yes, I have. Can I tell you why? Please. I'm obsessed with Marfa, Texas. I'm from San Antonio. And for the oh, yeah. third year in a row now, I stop in Marfa for like five or six days before I go home for Thanksgiving. <gasps> so I was just there a few weeks ago again with friends. And in the Airbnb, I made us all watch I Love Dick. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've watched that show a lot. Oh, that's awesome. It's a good show. And I've walked through some of the places where y'all have shot. Yes. I have friends at the station there, Marfa Public Radio. <gasps> oh, in the old gas station? Yeah. Oh, I had to get changed in there a few times. <laughs> that was like a that yeah, was a little uh, yeah. a, a makeshift dressing room. Yeah. Oh my god, that's beautiful. I love. I just had a sweet email exchange with Rob um, Weiner, who's like the head of Chinati. Oh yeah, yeah. I loved Marfa so much, and I loved that show. So it, it was is. A, yeah, yeah. I love the way that you. And you bring intensity to every role, but something about the character you played in that show. The entire time, you are this volcano waiting to explode. And there's such intensity in every movement, in every eye roll, in every whisper. And it's it's this beautiful expression of how everyone, whether they show you this or not, everyone in that same way is barely holding it together. Oh. Everyone has like the, 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 the stove pot top on top of the boiling water. And you do that in that show so well. Oh, Sam, that is really sweet to hear. Oh, God. <laughs> so I liked it. I love it. I'm actually seeing Sarah Gubbins tonight, who okay. is the writer of. Yeah. Anyway, I can't wait to tell her. Cause, yeah, we. Oh, that means a ton. Oh, man. I, I told you I loved it. God, I you love did it. That. I really. Oh, that means a ton. Yeah, that experience I'll hold very dear. It was a really tough one. It she seems was a tough. hard place to live for that. Yeah. How yeah. did you get to that place and stay in that place? Because it's. You're, in that mode for the whole arc and you have to just be there? Like, how long was the shooting? I had like three hairs left in my hair and I had No, it was, um, uh, how long was that shoot? It was about three months, three or oh, four wow. months. So you lived in that for three months? No, no, we, we only lived there for, um, we shot in at Sunset Gower out here for the, the bulk of the interior. Oh, okay. And then we were there for like three weeks at the end and gotcha. we shot the entirety of the pilot out there. But, gotcha. Um, I did love it and I loved that source material and I mean Griffin and Kevin and Roberta the whole cast was phenomenal but oh thank you for saying so it's weird too because people if people say were you expecting another season or were you I you know of course would have loved Mm -hmm. but I think it also kind of exists perfectly as an eight episode thing Mm -hmm. I would have been fascinated to see where it would have gone but I think it also kind of is like the chord kind of it's kind of like perfectly yeah you know, yeah. Well, like it, how it ended. Yeah. I mean, well, also, it's like one of the things that I noticed about, um, like, that role 
and your role in Private Life and your role in Transparent and other stuff. It's like so many of the characters you play, everyone thinks they're crazy, <laughs> but actually they're just right. Hmm. Oh, you know? that's awesome to hear. Everything yeah. your character thought about Kevin Bacon's character was true. You know, uh-huh. all of the angst yeah. that your character in, in like private life feels is true, but no one like and so like what's what seems to be a rationality is just you being radically right and no one gets it and then they think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Is this a, it, it feels like this is a thing women characters in film do because it feels like a th- way that women in the real world are treated a lot. Sam, well, I mean that's. Well, what's deep about what maybe you just latched onto there is that and what something I had never thought of, and I don't know if I can again speak to it globally, women-wise, but there is certainly something that I had never thought of is that a lot of these women are really, really trying to be heard. Mm-hmm. That's something that I, as a human, can can completely recognize for myself. Yeah, that was something growing up. I always felt like I was trying to be heard, hmm. to be really seen. You thought you weren't seen or heard, mm-hmm. Why do you mm-hmm. think that is? Or was? Um, I think for a lot of reasons, personally and family of origin-wise, and there's a lot of attention on a lot of other things going on in in my family of origin, and so I think I was always const- constantly like the, t- the tap dancer of the family, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's always like on the outside of myself. Like I felt like I was, what's that expression, the... The extroverted introvert. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like so, you, like you, you had, you felt the need to perform. Like you had to. Oh, for sure. Like all I wanted to do is be reading a book. Mm-hmm. Like I never look at a monitor. I really don't like photo shoots at mm. all because I hate being still huh. and captured. I huh. just get very self conscious. Okay, I can see that. I just like just like You're moving. You you want to move? You're a shark. No, I get not even in a like dramatic way. Yeah. It's just like I feel like, oh, now I have to like be something that I'm not. Yeah. Like I have to be like, oh. Yeah. Like it goes back to that, like, you know, trying to fit into like the Hollywoody yeah, yeah, yeah. actor yeah. thing. Yeah. Or just like to present for mm-hmm. somebody else's gaze just yeah. makes me feel like sick. Uh-huh. I can't describe <laughs> it. Does playing these playing these roles? These emotionally intense roles in different ways. Private life is emotionally intense in a different way than I Love Dick in a different way than the Romanoffs in a different way than whatever. Do these roles give you something? Because I can see you giving so much when I see you in these roles. But do the like do you come away from a performance or a role and say, I got something from this? Or and if so, you know, what is it? Always. Especially when it's something that is feels this like the ones you described that feel this that are this rich, that I'm asked to bring my full self and then I feel like I'm challenged to bring like to to like push myself in ways that I haven't before or that I'm able to like dig into icky crevices yeah, <laughs> or things like that don't feel as like pretty in the light. Like that's being a human being like mm-hmm. that is I'm, I hold those. So like, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation about like, just like being <laughs> in a church somewhere, like yeah. that's where I feel like I've learned something about what it is about myself and about what it is to be a human. Hmm. Like I like, have more wisdom you know yourself a of myself, more. yeah. Mm-hmm, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Catherine Hahn. Thank you so much oh for God. this. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Keep keep this work coming because I'm telling you, if Catherine Hahn's name is on it, I'm eating it up. Oh, I'm honey. eating it up. I Thank love you, it. Sam. Thank you. Thanks again to Catherine Hahn. Her movie Private Life is on Netflix. 
and a lot of her other work is all out there in the culture to be consumed. Everything she does is really good. Go watch her stuff. All right, listeners, do not forget today, tomorrow, whenever, share with me the best thing that's happened to you all week. Record yourself. Send that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You might hear that in our Friday show. You might hear it on the radio. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Listener.